Good morning, everybody. The Apostle Paul writes this to the early church in Corinth. But we have this treasure in clay pots so that the awesome power belongs to God and doesn't come from us. As Jeff said, we're teaching about the church this month. What is it? And why should I invest in it? So there's two things I want you to remember this morning. First, the church is a people, a people who belong to God. And second, the church is God's idea. It's his only plan for his people. We belong to God and he belongs to us. The church isn't an individual thing. It's, it's corporate. It's plural. It's one, of, it's one of our strategies for how to grow our faith, belonging in community. It's an amazing treasure, like Paul talked about, amazing treasure that God has given to us. And it's also messy, hard work. But then anything involving clay pots like ourselves is. There's this book that has stuck with me and my spaghetti strainer, strainer mem memory for years. It's called uh, Life Together, written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, published in 1954. I first read it in 1985. I've forgotten a lot of books. Um, this one has, has stuck with me over the years. It's not an easy read. Bonhoeffer isn't. Uh, but it's deep and it's timeless. And as I was getting ready for this morning, I thought of how this book begins. And I'll share some of that with you in a little bit. But first, let me ask you a question. Do you feel, does it feel to you like the whole idea of community has sort of gotten broken right now? The last three years have been traumatic relationally. Most of us have had it out with someone we love. Maybe it was on the family text thread, over dinner one night, in the break room, at work, or in the comments section in social media. Or, or maybe you didn't have it out. Maybe their outrageous social, social media post caused you to quietly unfollow them and you've been ghosting them ever since. We want to blame someone, and oftentimes we do by picking that controversial issue that they are on the wrong side of. It's their fault, not mine. Bonhoeffer holds a mirror up to our insanely broken relationships. Instead of feeding our fury or fueling our self-righteousness, he reminds us that the greatest danger to Christian community might not be the people who are getting it all wrong. This is what he wrote. Christian community is most often threatened from the, from the very outset by the greatest danger, the danger of confusing Christian community with some wishful image of pious community. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. 
They enter the community with their demands, set up their own law, and judge one another and even God accordingly. They stand adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of that community. Whatever does not go their way, they call a failure. When their idealized image is shattered, they see the community breaking into pieces. So they first become accusers of other Christians in the community, then accusers of God, and finally, the desperate accusers of themselves. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to hear. Our church has experienced a great amount of relational loss over the past few years. And sadly, we aren't unique. It's happening in churches everywhere. The Pew Research Center released a study that measures negative polarization. And here's a few things that are worth noting. The number of Republicans who view Democrats coldly, coldly, jumped from 58% to 83% in less than three years, and that is fast. Republicans who reported very cold feelings accounted for virtually all of that increase, and that's pretty fierce. And the same is true with Democrats. They saw 23% growth, mostly in very cold feelings towards Republicans. And it gets worse. A 2019 research paper written by a couple of political scientists reported these statistics. 60% of Americans think members of the other party constitute a threat to America. 40% call them evil. And nearly 20% agree they lack the traits to be considered fully human. Again, it gets worser. <laughs> when asked, do you think we would be better off as a country if large numbers of the opposing party just died? Approximately 20% of Democrats and Republicans answered yes. We live here. The researchers also asked, if the opposing party wins the 2020 presidential election, do you feel violence would be justified? And about 16% of both parties believed it would. And remember, this was just a couple of years before the January 6th insurrection in 2021. These stats matter. They show the direction of our country is toward tribalism. And what's terrifying is that things aren't gonna get better. It's being fueled by powerful people, platforms, and organizations that profit from our fear and division. Our culture has grown angrier, more depressed and lonely, more hostile toward change and differences, more antisocial, meaner, more narcissistic, nihilistic, selfish, and entitled. And the church has been impacted in so many places. We've been We've been compromised, deceived, and divided. Many have lost their way, and they've lost their voice, substituting allegiance to Jesus for allegiance to a political party. Moral ideologies have been confused with the gospel message of love, grace, and forgiveness. Too many have burned the welcome mat, locked the doors against outsiders they've decided are unworthy of love, and in the process, the heart of Jesus has been broken. One writer put it this way, God may not be dead, 
But his church is headed for hospice if we don't get our heads out of our ecclesiastical or religious backsides. So as bleak as all of this is, I still believe unity and community are possible. The Apostle Paul says it this way, we're experiencing all kinds of trouble, but we aren't crushed. We are confused, but we aren't depressed. We are harassed, but we aren't abandoned. We are knocked down, but we aren't knocked out. What unites us is far greater than anything that divides us. I believe unity is essential. Jesus died not only to save us from sin, but to bridge that gap between us and God and between each other. When we bring together a multi-class, multi-ethnic, multicultural, trans-political, intergenerational, big tent collection of broken people united by God's grace and bound eternally to one another as a family of faith in Jesus, we give the world a picture, a vision of a home that we all long for. But could it be that you and I, as right as we know we are on all the issues, are as much a part of the problem? This is what Bonhoeffer argued. So he made two, two key points that I read. Number one, Christian community is a gift, but not a guarantee. Bonhoeffer wrote, it's easily forgotten that the community of Christians is a gift of grace from the kingdom of God, a gift that can be taken away from us any day. When I read that again, I circled it, and I penciled Spring Break 2020 next to it. We had no idea how much we were taking community for granted. My opinion, we still don't. Christian community is a gift, but not a guarantee. And number two, a huge threat to Christian community are those who don't expect to find brokenness there. The greatest danger to Christian community is replacing God's plan for community with ours. And too often, our plan leaves no room for real people, broken humans, just like us, the people Jesus died for. We put ourselves and people just like us up on a pedestal, and we leave everybody else in the gutter. We're going to be very disappointed when our plan doesn't work real well, maybe because it's not God's plan. Many of us have had the experience of attending a new church or a small group or Bible study. Our expectations are high. It's going to be amazing. I mean, look at the pictures on social media. They're so impressive. Everyone looks like they love each other. Lots of smiles. No one seems weird. You know what I mean? Then we walk into that room, and it's not full. We realize the Instagram pictures were from the Easter service the year before COVID. <laughs> There's some young families, but... There's some older people too, some strange people, even some mean people. And poof, our dream of a pious community evaporates. So what's the solution? I'm a bit of an idealist. I like to see things through when I've got a plan in my head. Uh, I also have high standards for people. 
especially myself, and I'm pretty relationally driven, which means that community is important to me. But the shadow side of this is that my vision of community looks a certain way, and I'm often frustrated when it isn't realized. I take it personally. But I need community. Healthy relationships with people who are on this journey of faith, people to learn from, people to learn with. But how in the world do we even do this anymore? Why is it so hard to simply love the people around us instead of loving our dream of what it should be? Now, I know Bonhoeffer's book isn't for everyone, but it's really great. And if you like reading that sort of stuff, I recommend it. He does a great job of outlining how to build a beautiful, healthy community. But I figured I'd contribute what I'm much more qualified to do and talk about how to kill it. So here are my four easy steps on how to kill community. Number one, this is where it starts. Become an unbalanced idealist. Loving your dream of community rather than the community itself is the best way to kill it. Remember that. You don't even have to have bad intentions to do it. All you need to do to kill community is make sure that we have our idea of what it should look like and we stick to it no matter what, even if it contradicts God's plan. Do you need a a healthy picture of what Christian community looks like? Here's a description from the book of Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what does community look like? Meeting regularly, in person, to learn, discuss, and eat together. Sharing what you have with those who are in need. Being joy-filled, prayerful, worshipful, and being viewed with respect and even favor by the world around you. What's your vision of the church? Is it attractive? Is it welcoming to all sorts of people or only to those you choose? Does it involve growing and sharing and doing all sorts of life together and and other followers of Jesus? Is it as big as God's vision for the church? Remember, the church is people, and it's God's idea. So if you want to kill community, just confuse your idealistic vision of the church with God's. Number two, you want to kill Christian community, then keep your standards high and unrelenting. I mean, of course, everyone is welcome to our community, We're not trying to be an exclusive elitist country club, but once they're in, they they need to be all in and play by the rules, right? Where you get your standards depends on what exactly you're trying to do. Within the context of Christian community, this will also often include 
moral restrictions which reflect the social or political tribe you're devoted to. And what's the purpose of these moral restrictions? Well, one is to create fear and guilt among those who have broken them. And this guilt will only cause people to hide their true selves from others. They'll clean themselves up on the outside before joining in on the community instead of being transparent, genuine, and just plain broken like every single human being I have ever known. And why are they faking it? Because these unrelenting high standards are impossible to maintain by broken, sinful people in need of God's grace. You want to kill community? Then fake it. Ignore that you're a broken person in need of a savior and a community of grace. There can also be an assumption that everyone knows and agrees with your high, unrelenting standards. When it becomes known that someone has stepped over the line and broken a standard, you want to make them feel as much shame as possible. And there's a lot of ways of doing this. Name-calling, judgment, character assassination, demonizing, loud, angry accusations, or just passive-aggressive comments and behavior. And what's the result? Community shrivels up, becomes narrowly focused, and mostly about following a particular set of rules, and it's not a safe place for broken people, to be honest. Now, high expectations aren't necessarily bad unless they are used to hurt people. I believe in hard work. I believe in doing our very best. But I also want to follow Jesus' way of living that involves humility, love, grace, and forgiveness. Paul writes to the Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. But if you want to kill community, have high, unrelenting standards. Inspire fear, guilt, and shame in people who don't look, dress, act, or talk just like you. All right, number three. Raise your expectations as high as you can. Expect everyone to be fully on board with your definition of the church. Accept it without reservation and be just as excited about it as you are. No questions. No disagreements. No compromise. And if that's our expectation, then we're going to be very disappointed in the church, its leaders, its teachers, its members, its direction, and we're going to be skeptical about its future. Most likely we'll be angry most of the time because what we see and experience doesn't meet our impossibly high expectations, and we'll gladly do our part to distract from sabotage, and constantly criticize the work and mission of the local church. This is a community killer. I experienced this in a church that I once worked in. High standards, high expectations for its staff, its, its leaders. On the outside, everything seemed so pretty, and they were so proud of that. The church added on some much-needed space for the kids and student ministry programs, which were growing. And once completed, leadership decided the addition was just too nice 
for the kids and the students to use. They might mess it up, break something, or have an activity in the space that they would feel was inappropriate, like having fun. And that sent a clear message to the staff, to the students, and to their families. If you can't keep the place like new, then you don't belong there. I can't tell you how much I appreciate Orchard's commitment to next generations. Every church that I've been a part of said they loved kids and students. This is the only one that's actually backed it up. We love kids, students, and families because God does. And we're simply reflecting his love back into lives that are just beginning their faith journey. If you want to kill community, keep your expectations so high that there's no space, there's no place for the messy, chaotic work of loving people well. All right, if you follow the first three steps, then things are going to take an unexpected turn. People are going to fail you. Remember, the church is people. Reality will fall short of your expectations. Things will be more difficult, take far too long, much more so than you planned or anticipated. So now you're ready to get extra pessimistic and be as negative as possible. Allow your disappointments and frustrations to have free reign. You, know, you can stuff them down and let them make you bitter and calloused, or you can do even better and start to spread them through gossip. Call it venting if you want to make it sound better, or, or worse, refer to it as speaking the truth in love. You know, we want to we want to hold so tightly to our vision, standards, and expectations. We'll never compromise or give in to those people who want to make a course correction or change in how the church practices its faith. Don't forget, the best way to kill community is to love your dream of it, not the actual community, the people themselves. Grumpy, negative gossipers are community killers. I hope that it's obvious how unhealthy these attributes and behaviors are. The real challenge, and I hope you take it seriously, is to search our own hearts for evidence of these unhealthy attitudes and make the choice to do something about it. All right, here's a few final words. Christian maturity begins to grow when our concern for others outweighs our concern for ourselves. If you find yourself slipping into these community killers, then check your ability to feel and show compassion to people who aren't just like you. I believe community works only when we can understand the grace we've received in Jesus. Community is built on grace. God extended grace to us when he sent Jesus to earth to live and to die for us. God extended grace to us when he called us his sons and daughters, not because we meet his, his standards or expectations or through guilt, shame, fear, or judgment. God extends grace to us because he loves us, period. Could we do the same? Paul wrote, but we have this treasure in clay pots 
so that the awesome power belongs to God and doesn't come from us. I still have hope in the church, but we've got to give up a vision of a community where everyone's perfect, agrees about everything, and has an answer for everything. You wouldn't belong there anyway. Let's give up the vision of a church where everyone thinks like me, lives like me, votes like me, parents like me, sins like me, and looks like me. Let's give up the vision of a church where, where my heart will never be broken. My leaders will never be wrong. My friends will never be hurtful. And my sensibilities will never be offended. Let's give up a vision of church that doesn't exist and gain a vision of the truest thing that does, the cross of Jesus, at whose feet the ground is level. And as you kneel there in desperation and thanksgiving for God's grace, lift up your head and look around you. Notice those who are sharing that same space with you. This is where unity can be found. This is where community can be resurrected. The church is people. The church is God's best plan for his people. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for the gift of your church. That there are people on the same journey of faith with us, experiences the same things that we experience, maybe have the same questions or concerns or doubts or wonderings that we have. We come as we are. And we come to you, God, together. This is the church. It's precious. It's what you have chosen to impact history, to impact this community right now, to impact our families, to impact our lives. So God, help us to lift up our eyes and see both you in your greatness, in your love, in your grace, and also that we are a part of a collection of mixed people, broken people, who are just trying to follow you well. And help us to do that together. Bless our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.